Welcome to the Eternal Connection, a radio broadcast ministry of St. Mark Lutheran Church in Omaha, Nebraska. Whether it be through prescribed behaviors, rituals, or practices, every religion in the world teaches that if we desire to know God, it is our responsibility to find Him and know Him. Christianity, however, teaches something very different. Christianity teaches that God has come to us and has revealed His love for us by putting on flesh in Jesus Christ and by giving us His Word through which He continues to speak to us today. We're glad you've joined us as Pastor Jay continues leading us through the Bible right here, right now on The Eternal Connection. Once again, you are eternally connected. Happy Reformation Day, everybody. This is Pastor Eric J. from St. Mark Lutheran Church in Omaha, Nebraska, celebrating with you the fact that our God is indeed a mighty fortress who has brought salvation. He is the bulwark of our salvation and our hope, the one who has defeated sin, death, and the devil uh, through the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus, and brings us that grace of God Uh, through faith in what Jesus has done for us. That's what we're all about here on this show, Jesus, especially as we're bringing an end to our People of the Book series. And this is the second to last episode. Yes. Um, We're looking at Jesus today, the person of the book, the person to which all other people point, all the events point, uh, both frontwards and backwards. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is the center not only of Scripture, but the center of our lives and the center of eternity, as uh, he is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Chip, Jason, how are you guys doing this Reformation Sunday? I'm doing good, but I think we should quickly, at some point, remind everybody what that means. Reformation Sunday. Yep. Yes, indeed. It is the celebration back in the 16th century of what we usually call the rediscovery of the gospel. And because it was rediscovered, the church was able to be reformed. Uh, It had uh, lost its way. The church had become steeped in works righteousness, um, to say the least. (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. Um, It had become more of a religion than a relationship with God through Jesus, uh, who is, as we'll read later in this episode, the one mediator between God and man. Uh, We cannot mediate ourselves. No one else can stand for us before God. We cannot put money between us and God. We cannot put good works between us and God. There's one who stands in between us, and that's Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. And um, out of the Reformation came, of course, the the five solas, but the three that are usually remembered are by grace through faith in Jesus alone. Grace alone, faith alone, Jesus alone. So that's what we celebrate is the rediscovery of that gospel, which is really the reason why outside of the Roman Catholic denomination, we have 
the denominations like Lutheranism, Protestant, Protestantism, um, and a number of uh, other denominations. So we thank God for his work of salvation. That's what it is, his mighty work that uh, allows us to view our salvation as a fortress that cannot be defeated. And that's why they call it the good news. Amen. Amen to that. So we're looking at Jesus the Christ. Jesus Christ. Christ is not his last name. I guess we could probably start there. Right. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. Jesus the Christ. Uh, And we're going to be looking at some Bible passages um, to learn about who he is. You know, when we talked about doing this episode I had to chuckle because the thought of, hey, in this one 28-minute episode, let's cover Jesus the Christ. Right, yeah. (laughs) I don't even know where to begin in 28 minutes to cover Jesus. But uh, the plan that I think we have in place is we're just going to kind of touch on some high points throughout the scriptures uh, and just enjoy a conversation about our Lord and Savior, uh, who is Jesus Chip, why don't you pray for us? Okay. Well, for this morning's prayer, I'm going to take uh, part from Psalm 40, verses 16 and 17, and the second part from Psalm 41, verse 13. May all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O my God. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. 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 So we're looking at Jesus. If I were to ask you guys to give me a one-sentence answer, somebody's walking down the street, they say, hey, I just heard about this Jesus guy. Who is he? How would you answer that question? Well, my one sentence would be is, uh, you know, he's the Lord that uh, God sent to die for me and for uh, forgive everybody through him. Okay. Chip? I would say that, uh, first of all, he's the son of God. Uh, he became man, uh, and he died on the cross in order to defeat sin, death, and the devil. And it's only through him that we get to live forever. If you thought there was one word that people most commonly use to describe who Jesus is, what would you think it is? To describe him? Mm-hmm. He is a prophet or a good teacher. Okay. Is, is, yeah. yeah. Yeah, certainly I in our culture today, yeah. I um, would say savior. Okay. Yep. Most of the time. That Jesus is the savior of the world. Most people when describing him, and again, coming from a Christian standpoint, would say that Jesus is the savior, Mm -hmm. which would imply what? We need to be saved from something. Yeah, someone or something needs a savior, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? And it's with that in mind that um, I I want to was we're talking about Jesus and who he is, before we even get to the words that we use today, I want to go all the way back to the first time he's actually mentioned in Scripture. Now, he's not mentioned by name, but who he is and what he was prophesied to do is mentioned in specific. And that goes all the way back to the very first sin, because that's what we need saving from right. and, and the death that comes because of sin. And that's in Genesis chapter 3. And this is after Adam and Eve have taken the fruit. They were ashamed 
Um, and in verse 8 of Genesis chapter 3, it said, They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And so they hid themselves. Imagine trying to hide from God. <laughs> yeah, it didn't work out so well. That's a heck of a game of hide and seek. <laughs> That's right. So, so I mean that that is hugely substantial, just right on its on its face. And this is a little uh, much for describing who Jesus is right off the bat. But I think it's important that since the very first sin on Earth, who shows up? God in the flesh. In the flesh, right? Walking in the cool of the day. And then, of course, after calling Adam and Eve out of hiding, he calls the serpent to himself, calls him into account, and judges him, starting in verse 14 and 15. And in verse 15, he tells the serpent, Satan, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So God comes into his broken creation to deliver a promise. Yes, there's going to be pain and death because you sinned. But through the offspring of Eve, plural, and the offspring of the devil, there's going to be enmity, ultimately resulting in one of her offspring crushing the devil's head. And that's going to come at a cost that he will be bruised, not killed, not crushed, but bruised. And this is really the first promise we have in Scripture of the one who we will come to know as Jesus, Mm -hmm. this seed of Eve, this offspring of Adam that was promised to come and defeat Satan. So we're saved by Jesus not just from sin and death, but ultimately the first promise of Jesus comes as the one who's going to deliver us from the power of Satan Mm -hmm. and destroy his work, which his work is death. That's what he seeks to manifest because he hates God, the God of life. And this is carried through if we fast forward to Romans 5 in understanding who Jesus is. Paul, in one of his probably most theologically deep works, in Romans 5, starting in verse 12, he says, Just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. I think the connection that Paul is making here is that Jesus is that one promised seed. He's, he's the one man born of Adam and Eve that would fulfill God's promise given from that very first sin. 
You said born of Adam and Eve? Born of man, mankind. Yeah, he was born of Mary, right? But the promise was given to Eve that she would have an offspring. Humanly speaking, we all have one set of parents that we come from, and that's how sin has been passed down. And Jesus, the Savior, as Paul's making the connection here, is that man that was born promised to defeat the devil, to bring the grace of God. So just like sin came to everyone through one man's sin, so now grace comes to everyone through one man's sacrifice and righteous life. And Paul continues to make that connection if you go to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. And then you can go down to verse 44 also. I'm sorry, verse 45. And it says, thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Jesus is the last Adam. He's the perfect one. He's the redeeming one. He's the one that brings it all to an end. So to understand who Jesus is and what he's doing, we really look at Genesis 3 to see why this Savior had to come and see him as the fulfillment of that promise of God. Because as we've talked about before, after you read Genesis 3, the whole rest of Scripture is how God fulfills that promise in his perfect time and his perfect way. Because if you go back to Romans 5, it says, at the right time, Jesus came to die for the ungodly. So to understand who Jesus is, he is the promised Savior of humanity to save us from the power of the devil that reigns over us because we sin against God. That's what he's saving us from to be in our place, to live in our place, to die in our place, and to rise again to prove more powerful than the destruction and death that we created. So when we say he's the Savior, that's kind of everything we mean in in a very short period of time Mm -hmm. (laughs) from a theological perspective. And when we say he's the Messiah, the anointed one, the promised one, that's the, that's the promise from which all others come. And I think it's so significant that that comes at the very first sin. There is no delay from our gracious God. The first sin, God shows up on the scene, what we would call a pre-incarnate Christ or a theophany, walking in the garden, promising that he would come as a man forever to, to redeem us. So when we're sitting around waiting for Christ to come back, we, we might be waiting a while. Yeah, Jesus says you, you don't know when that's going to be. Kind of like the people of the Old Testament didn't know when that promise was going to be fulfilled, but that's the promise they were holding on to. They, they knew it was coming. They trusted it. Not perfectly, of course, but they didn't know either. And then in the most unexpected of ways... 
Jesus comes born of a virgin, born to die. And, and you know, I've always wondered, is that because she was pure and no other child had been born, or was it to prove that, you know, there's greater power at hand there? Yeah, we can't. Why was Mary chosen? Um, yes, because she was a virgin. That was prophesied about. But that's not why Mary the virgin was chosen. Um, she found favor, kind of like Moses or Noah found favor. Um, God chose her. But that's true for everybody. We're only saved because God comes to us and reveals himself to us. So, yes, she was a virgin, but Mary herself in the Magnificat would say, uh, <laughs> Uh, I rejoice in God, my Savior. She knew she needed saving too. She wasn't more holy than anybody else. Neither was Abraham. Neither was Noah. Neither was Moses. Neither was Paul that we talked about <laughs> last episode. God comes to to us. Why? For no other reason than he promised. That's what he promised to do, and God keeps his word. It's really easy to overthink that. Yeah, to think Mary's got something on us, right? That she somehow was better or... Well, that or just uh, why God came or why Jesus came. You know. Oh, well, yeah, that's why I started back in Genesis 3 is, is why did he come? Because he promised to take care of sin, death, and the devil. He, there's no reason he should have come. He, sh- he could have just ended the whole thing right there gotten rid of Adam and Eve, gotten rid of the devil, said, well, that didn't work. <laughs> but in God's foreknowledge, uh, as, as it will say in the book of Ephesians, before the foundations of the world, God knew what he was going to do. Because he is both a God of justice, but also a God of immeasurable grace and patience and love and salvation. So he kind of knew what he was getting himself into. He wouldn't be God if he didn't. Yeah. Well, I think one of the one of the coolest parts of living in the modern era is, you know, Pastor, you mentioned earlier that the Bible, as you're walking through it, in the Old Testament, it points forward to Jesus, mm-hmm. and then Jesus arrives, does what he had to do, said it is finished, and then left to be back with his Father in heaven. And now that good news that comes from that, as we look back to what Christ did, we have the advantage in that it is finished for us. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it was finished for everyone uh, by Christ. Nobody in the Old Testament earned their way to heaven. Right. It was it was looking forward to the Messiah, the Christ who was to come. Mm-hmm. But we have the unique perspective in that everything is already done. The, the moment we were born— God already died for us, mm-hmm. died for the sins that we would commit throughout our lives, and we still do. Yeah, and, and you can even, I was going over this with our confirmation class uh, just the other night too, you, you even see that kind of finished mindset even in the promise of the Messiah given throughout the Old Testament. We operate on such a linear perspective right. as mortal beings, uh, and we operate in time because that's how we were created. But God doesn't operate that way. Reality doesn't function for him like it functions for us because he creates reality. Right. And you look at the story of like Abraham and, and, and Jacob, who becomes Israel. God is making these promises. He says, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. And then he changes his name 
before he even has one kid, he comes to Abram, righteous father, renames him because he says, you're going to be a father of many nations, so I'm changing your name right now. You are the father of many nations. Meanwhile, Isaac still hasn't yet even been born. Sure. So in God's mind, because he said it, it's done. You're a new person already. I spoke it. It's going to happen. So this is the, the the salvation God is seeing. It's finished before Abraham even has the promised son. Now, the perspective you're talking about is we can look back on that and actually see who that offspring is, mm-hmm. the fulfillment of the type of Isaac, right, the son that was sacrificed but not because of a substitute that was brought. Right. And that really kind of brings us to what uh, – Another part of Scripture that we looked at at length years ago when we looked at John is John 1, where John also goes back to Genesis to describe who Jesus is. But he goes back even further. He goes back to verse 1 of Genesis 1 and says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. And I'm, I'm paraphrasing here. Um, All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made. So John is saying, look, This word, who eventually, John will say, became flesh, and then will tell us it's Jesus Christ. He's the word of God made flesh. He was with God from the very, very beginning. And not only was he with God, but it says he was was God. And this is where we start to get into this question of who Jesus is that people struggle with a lot of, well, is he the son of God or is he God? Yes. And the answer is yes. <laughs> you know, I was just thinking about that a little bit ago because when Jason was uh, talking about his title to Christ and, and whatnot, and the idea that Jesus is forever 100% man mm-hmm. and 100% God. And we look at that and go, well, you can't do that. But to your point, he's God. <laughs> he he can even do things that completely defy our very definition of logic. Yeah, it's because one of the, he's God. The simplest truths that that we're we're just our sinfulness is put on full display when we try and wrap our heads around this. Right. He's the one that made everything from nothing just by speaking it. Why is this such a complicated thing? Right. Well, it's not complicated because if we assume God for the sake of argument that He truly is God, this isn't. A, we don't really need to understand it. It's, it's that sinner that bucks against it. Mm-hmm. It's a spiritual issue, not an intellectual issue. Right. And Jesus made this very clear. I mean, if anybody ever questions who did Jesus say that he is, you can simply go to John 10 if you want to turn there now. He's arguing with the chief priests and the Pharisees, per usual, because they refuse to believe that if God were to come, the Messiah were to come, he wasn't going to come from Nazareth. He wasn't going to be this poor beggar carpenter. So Jesus is talking to them in John chapter 10. They're having this argument. And Jesus says, starting in verse 25, the works that I do in my father's name bear witness about me, but you don't believe because you're not my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. And then you got to throw in the Holy Spirit. 
Well, yeah, we can fast forward to John 13, 14, 15. Yeah, where he says, I tell you the truth, the spirit that the Father's going to send in my name to you. The word Trinity is never spoken. But one cannot deny that Jesus clearly said two things. I am the Son of God and I am God. And the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit of God, but he is God. And, and so Jesus is saying, I'm the eternal Son, come to earth, and I and the Father are one. And it's this a is a version I'm, of God that we can, you know, that, that could relate to us. Yeah, and this is what the church has struggled with. You know, this is why we have the Athanasian Creed, the Nicene Creed, the Apostles' Creed. We wouldn't say version because there is no version of God, right? And we're being nitpicky. I know what you mean. But no, he is God. Well, yeah, it's the it, uh, a different word or way that my brain was thinking that is it's God's way of coming to us at a level that we could deal with. Oh, sure. Yeah, I mean, he came to the Israelites, un, you know, without humiliating himself, and they wanted to run away. I think St. Gregory of Nianzian said it best when he says, whatever God does not assume upon himself, he cannot redeem. So if God did not assume humanity unto himself, he could not redeem it. And if he's going re- to redeem us from sin, he has to take that on. But he's God. He can't do that. So he comes to us in a humiliated way. He comes to us, as we say, quieted. He's all there. Colossians 1, if you want to turn that now, in verse 15 and 16, says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And in chapter 2 of Colossians, Paul says in verse 8, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy or empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the wisdom of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Christ the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. So who is Jesus? He's God. In the flesh, the same God who showed up walking in the Garden of Eden and yet promised you'll have a son that defeats the devil. And again, our brains can't wrap around this. Yeah, because he already, you know, made the devil, right? Well, he didn't. He made Lucifer the angel who rebelled, just like he made us and we rebelled. Okay. Yeah. So Jesus... It, there's, there's, this is what got him crucified. This is what got the apostles martyred. The answer to who is Jesus, he's God. And, and that's a wonderful message that no other religion in the world dares to say. God is this nebulous thing or force that you've got to figure out or you've got to somehow ascend to where we all know that ain't happening. If I have to figure out God, if I have to be, if I have to find him or do enough to get to him, I might as well just Pack up shop now. No, the Christian message is, no, God has come to you. And yes, Jason, in a way we can understand, in a way that's going to save us and not crush us, because he will come instead to be crushed in our place. And his name is Jesus. And he is the Christ. Amen. Amen to that. 
We pray our time together in God's Word has been a blessing to you and to your faith in Jesus Christ, who is our Lord and Savior of the world. If you enjoy listening to our program, we would love to hear from you. Go to eternalconnectionradio.com. To find our full episode archive, contact us, let us know you enjoy the show, or ask a question that Pastor Jay will answer on the air. God bless all of you. We look forward to connecting with you again next Sunday on The Eternal Connection.